Welcome to the UM's Connected Podcast, a resource offering spiritual formation in the Wesleyan tradition through a metaverse community. I'm your host, Steve Harper. Well, we continue our series on believing. We're moving through the Wesleyan communal flow of spiritual formation. We began with a series on connected. We did that for two reasons. One, that's one of the words that Wesley used to describe the early Methodists, the Methodist connection. And we also used it to try to draw out of early Methodism the reasons and aims and practices that we want to exemplify in the UM's connected ministry today. So we started by saying that in the, in the Wesleyan flow of communal formation, we begin with belonging, with connecting, with becoming members of one another, to use uh, Paul's uh, body of Christ kind of analogy. But then, once we were in the community, once we're in the fellowship, we find that we step into a stream of orthodox faith that has been flowing uh, not only in the 2,000 years of Christianity, but in the 2,000 years before that as it manifested itself in the First Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. So, we're in the series now, in that second movement, from belonging to believing, and we are looking at paragraph 104 in part 3 of the Book of Discipline. Last week, we looked at the first half. We looked at the doctrinal standards, the articles of religion in the United Methodist Church and the confession of faith in the former Evangelical United Brethren Church. Those two documents have never been merged because we wanted to keep the historical sensitivity and distinction while at the same time showing that those two documents overlap in numerous ways. Uh, it's one of the reasons why back in the, in the 50s and 60s, whenever it was happening, the leaders of both the Methodist Church and the EUB Church saw the potential for merger, which finally came to pass in 1968. We've kept the documents separate so that we can, we, we can know and uh, we can like and we can appreciate our respective doctrinal heritages while at the same time showing how congruent they are with each other. We um, have also uh, taken the additional step in the restrictive rules of showing that these two documents are not amendable. They stand uh, as they are. The Articles of Religion uh, were introduced into the Book of Discipline in 1808. That's how long they have been with us. And for a lengthy period of time in the EUB tradition as well, in the Confession of Faith. So we come right out of the gate saying to the world, this is what we believe. But paragraph 104 has a second section. That's the general rules of the United Societies, later the general rules of the Methodist Church, and now of the United Methodist Church. And one of the things I mentioned, but I want to remind you of today, is paragraph 104 contains not only substantial information, but it also is a window for understanding the unity of Wesleyan theology. That is, 
you cannot separate beliefs from practices. So, paragraph 104 doesn't separate them either. In fact, it holds them together with the first half of the paragraph having to do with beliefs, and now in the second half, with practices. That's very, very important. So when you're looking at part three of the Book of Discipline, which I hope many of you are doing right now, uh, not only uh, work your way slowly and carefully and prayerfully through the content so that you can say with confidence and with accuracy, this is what United Methodists believe. And you'll have to say that today against the backdrop of rumors and innuendos and falsehoods that are being spoken around about us. But quite apart from that, in part three of the Book of Discipline, paragraph 104, part A, this is the bedrock theology. These are our primary doctrines and beliefs, and you can stand on them with confidence as, as we move forward into a new United Methodism. But all of that, now to say, in the second half of the paragraph, we move to the general rules of the United Society. And that's very, very important because what happened is that when Methodism began, the people who were connected, the people who were believing, see, the people who were belonging and believing, <clears throat> then said, how then shall we live? And uh, social holiness in acted faith becomes part of our theological statement, see. We don't understand dangling doctrine. We, we, we don't understand intellectual affirmations of the faith without corresponding uh, expressions of the faith. So, uh, probably have you know, belabored that point enough, but it's a very important point in paragraph 104 that holds uh, our, our beliefs and our practices in a unified whole. So we'll spend the rest of our time today looking at the general rules of the United Societies. And the very first thing to say about them before we look at the text is that these two are not amendable. They're part of the protection of the restrictive rules. Uh, the general rules cannot be changed. Now, of course, we apply them differently. Even some of the illustrations that John Wesley gives in the document were for the time in which he lived, which is another insight. Wesley knew that the general rules of the United Societies always had to be applied and that uh, he was trying to apply them to his age. Charles Wesley had uh, wrote in the, in the hymn A Charge to Keep to serve the present age, my calling to fulfill. That's what the general rules are trying to do. Uh, how do we take our doctrines? How do we take our convictions, our beliefs, and apply them for the good of ourselves in community and for the good of the world in mission? That's the question the general rules are, uh, is, is, are, are trying to respond to. Now, let me give you a little bit of a forecast. When we finish this second round on uh, the doctrines, beliefs, and practices, we're going to look at the mission. We're going to spend the month of September looking at the mission. Uh, coming back to the, to, to the dimensions of social holiness. Uh, so the general rules are a kind of a bridge, if you will. Uh, the general rules are the bridge from doctrinal affirmations to Christian mission. 
and they're the rules that apply to the various communities that were forming called Methodism, to the classes, the bands, the select bands, and the larger societies, and even, Wesley hoped, for the church as a whole. So here we go. Wesley begins the general rules by showing that uh, as far back as 1739, which you'll remember is only about a year after he had his Aldersgate experience, May 24th, 1738, when he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. We may want to come back to that phrase because it's loaded with uh, Christian spirituality implications. And and, uh, UM's Connected is about spiritual formation in the Wesleyan tradition. So we'll need to... uh, Come back and revisit this at another time. But in the general rules, it's interesting. This is where Wesley began. 1739, he says, the, the, near the end of 1739, eight or ten persons came to Mr. Wesley in London who appeared to be deeply convinced of sin and earnestly groaning for redemption. We would call those people today seekers. Or to use that uh, somewhat trite and, and overworked cliche, these were people who were sick and tired of being sick and tired. And somehow they had heard about John Wesley. They had heard about Charles Wesley. They had, they'd heard about uh, some of these people that had been part of the Holy Club at Oxford and, and, and uh, that, that embryonic Methodist movement. And they came together and began to meet together to see how they would spend time in prayer flee from the wrath to come, and then pursue holiness of heart and life. The great work of loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and their neighbor as themselves. And Wesley says this was the rise of the United Society, first in Europe and then later in America. Now, uh, before Methodism was called Methodism, the groups were called the United Societies. And uh, the heart of it, as the general rules show, was to form classes, smaller companies, um, according to their respective places of abode. In other words, geographical. Uh, One of the principles in the general rules is ease of access. being able to get to the group that you want to be part of. Well, I don't have to tell you that in some ways that's even easier now than it was then. And the fact that you're listening to this podcast and that you're part of a metaverse community called UM's Connected, uh, you can be anywhere now and be everywhere, see. Uh, Or to say it the other way, everywhere can be anywhere. And we're going to be forming different aspects of metaverse communities as UM's Connected evolves. But what's interesting today is to see that Wesley had that same vision. He wanted societies and classes and bands to, to, to be formed according to their respective places of abode. And each was to have a leader. The first thing that Wesley spells out are the duties of the class leader. Uh, We may come back and look at spiritual leadership at a later time in this podcast. So I won't say much about it, except if you're following along in part three of the Book of Discipline, you can read uh, the characteristics that Wesley was looking for in the women and men, uh, laity primarily, but also some clergy, 
who assumed the roles of being society, class, and band leaders in early Methodism. But he, he then moved to say that there were three things, three foundational principles that all of these groups would be committed to. It didn't matter whether you were in London or Bristol, whether you were in the, in the urban city area or whether you in a, were in a remote rural location. Uh, there were some things you could know about the Methodists no matter where they were. Uh, they lived their faith in common and congruent ways. The general rules spell out three of them. First, by doing, <clears throat> by doing no harm. The second principle is doing good. We'll come to that in a minute, but what I want to do is hold those together just for a second. For some of you who come out of the sciences, you'll say, that sounds like the Hippocratic Oath. I've, I've done some research into this, uh, not enough to say with absolute certainty uh, that Wesley uh, was thinking of the Hippocratic Oath, but with enough study to be able to say there was this philosophical scientific, theological mindset in the culture and in the church which looked at the Christian ethics through these two lenses. Uh, they're, uh, they're like the left eye and the right eye. They're like that, that depth perception that comes when, when you say do no harm and then do good. So uh, whether Wesley was consciously thinking about the Hippocratic Oath he was certainly part of, of a culture since the time of Hippocrates that understood uh, that these two aspects of life are always interacting with each other. But let's come back now and, and uh, split them out for purposes of discussion. First, do no harm. Wesley says, avoiding evil of every kind. And then he gives some illustrations. Some of them would be as applicable in the 21st century as they were in the 18th. Some of them are a bit dated. But again, if you're following part three of the Book of Discipline, and if you're looking at this uh, part of paragraph 104, you can see those for yourselves in terms of the specifics. Here's the thing that I want to say about doing no harm. Uh, it's part of the larger formative tradition of uh, emptying and filling. Um, you know that parable that Jesus told about the person who had an evil spirit and that evil spirit uh, was cast out of the house. That, that's the first step. You've got to get rid of, of, of the junk. You, you've, you've got to, to uh, restock the shelves. You've got to take the stuff out of your soul that's counterproductive, that's not doing you any good, and make room for righteousness, if you will. It's what the writer of Hebrews says in uh, chapter 12, saying, laying aside every weight and the sins which so easily cling to us. Now, that's important because not everything that we need to get rid of is sinful. <laughs> so the writer of Hebrews uses the word weights. First of all, there's just a lot of unnecessary stuff. It just gets in the way. Get rid of it is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Get rid of it is what the general rules are saying. Just, just cleanse your life of, of the unnecessary things that are 
uh, in one way or another inhibiting you. Now, that moves on to sins because some of those things are actually violations of the will of God. Some of them are just encumbrances and unnecessary things. But that's Jesus' first word. That evil spirit comes out of the house. Do no harm. Uh, consciously avoid uh, uh, consciously avoid censoriousness. Consciously avoid contentiousness. Uh, make sure that you're not contributing to the dis-ease of another person or another group of people. And surely not to the point of being divisive and derogatory. Now, that's what Wesley is getting at here. Do no harm. Then, he says, secondly, by doing good. By being in every kind merciful. That in every kind meaning in, in every way you can. In every way you can. Being merciful after their power. Now that's interesting because Wesley acknowledges that not everybody in the Methodist movement is going to have equal capacity for all this stuff. There's grace in the general rules. It's not legalistic. They're watching over one another in love. And not everybody's going to have the capacity to... Uh, to get rid of the bad stuff and put in the new stuff uh, to the same degree. That's why the class leaders were so important. That's why the other members of the groups were so important. Because in watching over one another in love, sometimes they had to be like those stretcher bearers that carried their friend to Jesus when the friend could not get there on his own. So this whole thing, you see, according to their power. If you've got the strength to do all this, Wesley says, great. But if for some reason, if the problem is, is intense, if it's really deeply personal, if it's, if it's really something, you know, that's, that's, that's gotten into you, then let, let other people in the community help you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, this, is, this is that combo of doing no harm and doing good. Sometimes we can do that in our own strength. Sometimes we need the help of others. But what's important here is in the Hippocratic Oath, also in Jesus' parable, um, the house doesn't stay empty. See, This Christian ethic, uh, this social holiness, is about restoring, restocking, rejuvenating, reviving. Not just emptying, but also filling. And so then, Wesley gives, again, examples of what it might mean in the 18th century to do good. And again, some of those are as applicable now as then, but some of them uh, can be looked at differently because we are uh, down the road and living in a different time than Wesley did. But doing good, Wesley ends this section by saying, is an evidence of our desire for salvation. See? Salvation is not just about what you don't do anymore. See, It's about what you are doing the glory of God. It's the Romans 12.1 to present ourselves as living sacrifices as holy and acceptable unto God. Uh, so those first two points are a unit, but they're broken down to show the uh, twin aspects of communal formation. Doing no harm. Doing good. Then you come to the third major category in the general rules. Attending upon all the ordinances of God. Now, what are the ordinances of God? Well, Wesley uh, goes on to define those. Basically, he says they're the means of grace that are practiced individually 
and in community. Some of the ordinances uh, are more personal in nature. Some of the ordinances are more communal in nature, like the public worship of God. But all of the means of grace, please hear me now, all of the means of grace can be practiced in individual and communal ways. We have to adapt them, but you, you can't look, for example, at at the uh, instituted means of grace or the works of piety and say, well, that's only just a kind of me and God thing. No, every one of the instituted means of grace, every one of the works of piety can be uh, practiced in in a fellowship. All of them can be lived together. Searching the scriptures, for example, is something you can do on your own. It's something you can do together with other people. Public worship of God uh, or, or the worship of God, I should say, can be done publicly or you can be alone in your room in worship to the Almighty. Um, Wesley says that, it, that it's not just about doing no harm and doing good. It's that God wanted the people called Methodists to become a fellowship, to become a community in which they could practice the means of grace together and grow together as followers of Jesus Christ. And so Wesley then ends by saying, these are the general rules of our society, all of which we are taught of God to observe. And you can trace the development of Methodism in relationship to these three principles. Do no harm. Do good. Attend to all the ordinances of God. Reuben Job has written a little book called Three Simple Rules in which he takes the general rules and updates them into, into our day. And his phrase that I love about the ordinances of God is that he takes it above just practicing and checking marks and I did this and I did that. He says that the aim of all this was that we would stay in love with God. Oh my, I don't think there's any better way to sum up the general rules of early Methodism. I don't think there's any better way to sum up the general rules of United Methodism today. There's no better way to sum up why UM's Connected has come into existence than to say we are here to help one another stay in love with God. Well, that's our episode for today. I hope you found it to be helpful. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week as we continue to look at our beliefs through part three of the Book of Discipline as we continue our journey together in UM's Connected. Tell others about this movement. It's timely. We've only been at this for about two months and we can already tell that we're meeting a need. So bring others into the fold that you think will be helped by UM's Connected. And if there's anything you'd like to share with me, feel free to write Steve Harper, at this address, UMsConnected at flumc.org.